Hello, this is John Vanderbilt, the executive pastor here at Glen Ellen Bible Church, and you're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Mother's Day, which was Sunday, May 8, 2022. Hi, everyone. I'm Simone Halpin. And I'm Kelly Brady. I serve as senior pastor here at Glen Ellen Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to the Next Level Podcast. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Nice uh, nice job on Sunday. Thank you. You know, the first and second service went a little differently. So um, we got a couple questions from, I'm guessing, maybe uh, second service or, I don't know, maybe it's first service. But anyway, I just felt like it went differently between the two services. Mm-hmm. And um, that happens sometimes. So um, hopefully we can offer some clarity today. Yeah. I thought the baby dedications were fun. It They're was always, so fun. Yeah. I always remember. Yeah. We've been doing this for 80 years and we still put three songs before the dedication. It <laughs> was so painful. It should be one song. Yes. Dedication. I don't those, know how we missed that. I don't either. I think it was only painful for those of you who knew. I mean, well, I was yeah. towards the back and the service. Those poor parents trying to comfort children for three songs. Yeah. yeah. Painful for them. Yes, I felt like when second service, when baby dedication was over, everybody breathed a sigh of relief. <laughs> oh. It was such, it's just real life. It's yeah. real yeah, life. Yeah. It didn't feel awkward yeah. for those of us who were just, you know, cheering everybody on. I do think our, our church is relatively comfortable with a... Loud, yeah. cranky, yeah. crying child, even in in worship. Yeah, I mean, we're I've so a, used to I've it. I've been in a church service before where a baby's cried, and the pastor has said, "We have a, a room. kids room, a yeah, cry, a crying room, yeah, a crying room, which is from the platform. From the plat, don't do that. No, that makes it, I that love having kids attention. in service. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. yeah. What? Uh, speaking of loud. What, did, were y'all, did y'all think the singing was encouraging? Did, could, Simone? Well, you you said that. I um, Do you not note it from where you're sitting? I'm, I literally was in the last row. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't tell. Over, yeah. No, man, I mean, I love John. The songs. Yeah. I yeah, thought it was. You and I were remarking. I, I couldn't uh, tell if it was because the band was a little smaller and quieter. quieter you know, no yeah, drums, okay. no electric mm-hmm, guitar. Mm-hmm. But the, I Somebody, felt like people were really. Really singing out, which Somebody is Somebody come up to me afterwards and say, well, we knew the songs and the band was a little smaller. So yeah. the volume was easy. I said, yeah, that makes sense to me. But I was so encouraged to mm-hmm. hear people sing out. It, Frankly, it makes the preaching effort uh, that much more enjoyable yeah. for me um, because when we're all preaching together. So I just loved it. I thought it was an encouraging morning. I loved I, I loved that I knew all three songs. And honestly, my favorite Mother's Day gift yesterday was standing next to my... 15 year old belting it out I was uh, like I don't even yeah. want to say I mean I just want to listen to her yeah she's That's got a sweet. beautiful voice and it was it was sweet it was a gift good yeah. praise God mm-hmm. did you all dedicate your kids yeah mm-hmm. did I, you yep yeah. we dedicated Caleb and Izzy when they were like seven and five yeah. <laughs> like did you, you want to just share your own verse <laughs> <laughs> did you do that here yeah okay yeah, yeah 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 we um it was great yeah. Well, we have a question later on about uh, baptism and what are we oh, yeah. what are we thinking? Why why don't we baptize infants? Why do we do dedication? So, good question. All right, let's get into it. All right. First question: You mentioned the LGBTQ issues and the work of local school boards who are caring for our children. The claim was that immature Christians are being tossed around by the waves. Ephesians four fourteen and acting fearful. Are you saying that if we are bothered by some of what the local school boards are doing, 
that we are immature in our faith. Not at all. Yeah, not at all. I'm bothered by some of the decisions being made by local school boards, which is why I'm I'm leading this group uh, with the Alistair Bag book, Brave, and I'd encourage that you don't have to come to the group. We had about uh, 27 in the group when we met last, and others could jump in if they wanted, but just buy the book. It's a short, little, very encouraging book. I handed it to a parent who is almost an empty nester. All three of her kids are almost out of the house, and she said, wow, I wish I had had this a decade ago. The book is just so encouraging. So, yeah, I'm bothered by some of the decisions made by the local school boards. Uh, I still want to give them the benefit of the doubt. I, I'm assuming they're doing their best to help our children. They, they you know, uh, they endure a lot to serve. But uh, at the same time, I'm bothered by it. So I'm not saying if you're bothered, you're immature. Uh, the rapid cultural change is unnerving. And uh, if we're tossed uh, by fear, if we're overwhelmed, in fact, the exact thing I said was, I asked the rhetorical question, how do we find stability? How do we find clarity? How do we find confidence and maturity in this type of cultural climate? That's what I I said, by speaking the truth in love. So we actually need to be speaking the truth. And we need to be doing it in a loving fashion. We need to be doing it in a confident fashion that God is with us. He's with our children. Uh, he's for us. I just, I get a lot of fear. I, that's what I, the vibe I sense from a lot of believing Christians. And I, uh, I think we need to go on to maturity and, and know that, hey, we're strangers. Uh, one of the things that Alistair Bagg does really well in the first chapter of his book is point out that, you know, for a long time, Christians in America did not feel like cultural strangers because mm-hmm. the climate in America, he was talking about the 1950s and many of the, the 1940s, the 60s, the, the climate in the culture was was very friendly to Christians and it's not that way anymore. Right. And so we are clearly strangers and that's unnerving. I mean, doctrinal strangers, theological strangers, worldview strangers. Yeah. Culturally. Uh, yeah, culturally, we're not at home at ease here. He said, and that shouldn't catch us off guard. We're told in scripture we're strangers. And so my point in raising these issues are that, and I actually read from the Ephesians 4, the cunning, the craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming should not surprise us. We know that we will will meet with that. I talked about the uh, abortion issue. And I said that leaking the draft opinion that is apparently going to reverse Roe v. Wade, praise God, yeah, right, uh, is is a part in my estimation. We don't know what actually went on there, how it got leaked, or why it was leaked, but it it appears to have been leaked to counteract or to cause justices to rethink their opinion, to put the issue back into the court of popular opinion, so to pressure justices before the opinion's final. Right. Yeah, I had talked with my my kids a little bit about it leading up to it. I don't know if your kids had had any conversations about it, but um, my kids were like, this is great, right? Like, this is really good. This is what we've been praying for and talking about Roe v. Wade. I'm like, yes, absolutely. If this happens, this is amazing. Yeah. I said, the problem is, is that a lot of folks are saying, conservative folks even, or, or those who would love to have this passed, that the airing of the, the draft leak. decision right. moved this into a political, uh, so now we have protesting and all these yeah. issues, so much so that the Senate acted to vote yeah. last week to yeah. make abortion legal as a law. So the airing of the of the draft has, has undermined the court's has undermined power. the hopeful. I mean, uh, 
undermined the guarantee, perhaps, that this was going to get overturned, and it has politicized the issue. It's caused a vote in the Senate and all these other things. So I think a little bit of what you were saying was... We shouldn't be surprised that sin is in the world. Like right, the and, and that, the that's the, the, the bad part of it is not Roe v. Wade being overturned. No. We celebrate that. If this is going to happen, if this draft is in fact true, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, but the yeah. craftiness and the cunning to even try to undo that forcing the issue into a political conversation and yeah we shouldn't be in the midst of midterm elections and we shouldn't be surprised that public school boards don't see the world the way we see it we shouldn't be surprised we shouldn't be unnerved by it it shouldn't cause fear in our lives we should we should stand up we should speak out as citizens and we should live with great confidence um, that god is for us and when he's for us who can be against us yeah it's there's a like a scale, right? Of um, or I don't know the best way to say this, but um, we have concern, and what we around every turn, it seems like, <laughs> uh, in in some areas in culture, and we the way that we handle that concern, the way that we talk about that concern in front of our children, um, it can move us towards fear and isolation, or it can move us towards. Um, like you said, a, a, a confident person airing their concerns and making wise decisions for their children and their family. And not everybody's going to have the same level of concern about issues. Not everybody's going to have the, the same passion to act act on certain issues. And, and um, it's the danger of growing fearful in a way that you feel like God is not in control, mm. right? Like yeah. that's what we're talking about is this where we're doubting the goodness of God and that he is in control of all things. Mm-hmm. Finding our place in the midst of concerns and what we do with those concerns, keeping them from turning to um, fear that tosses us around is what mm-hmm. I think is what's important, what you were getting at on Sunday. Mm-hmm. I think this is probably um, maybe oversimplifying it, but uh, some of these issues are so complicated. It's mm-hmm. not simply maybe... It's black and white sometimes from a biblical perspective, but how it plays out is not, most of the time I find is very gray. And so what I took away from your encouragement yesterday when you were preaching was we need to know where we, what the, what the scriptures say and how that plays out. Um, and then uh, let's just take abortion for example, just a nice light topic. Yeah, right. Um, there is, there is, there is, there is much to be celebrated, uh, about what's we're anticipating happening in June from the Supreme Court and how it's going back to the states to rule whether or not abortion would be legal in each one of those states. Um, I read something uh, over the weekend, though, that was some opinions from pro-life mm-hmm. leaders and how they were saying, although we're celebrating this because it's been a lot of our work you know, poured into um, you know, trying to get Roe v. Ray overturned, they were all saying our work is actually just getting started. Totally, because unplanned pregnancies aren't are going to be continue. Im- exactly, and and the issue is wanting to see abortions go down, and the legality of abortions is one piece of a much greater puzzle. So mm-hmm. when I hear a scripture like this Ephesians four verse um, from my pastor on a Sunday morning, it, I take that as okay. I actually have no control what's going to happen in the Supreme <laughs> Court, thankfully. Um, but where does this impact 
how I'm making daily decisions. How is this going to impact who I vote for? How is this right. going to impact how I do talk to my kids about it and right. women who have unplanned pregnancies? Right. So that is that was my application mm-hmm. of the, I don't want to be tossed around not knowing how I'm going to talk to different people. And you don't want your kids to be tossed around. Right. You want right. to speak the truth right. and love to them. Right. So you want to equip them. Yeah, I hope I'm making sense. Where you some are. of it is very black and white. Mm-hmm. Abortion is wrong. It hurts women and it hurts children across mm-hmm. the board. Um, how that plays out in our everyday life, I think, is very gray. And so I'm hoping to build my life upon a solid foundation of scripture, which I feel like is what your point was. Mm-hmm. That's the point I took from yesterday when you when you went into some of these difficult issues. So I'm not tossed around about mm-hmm. how it's impacting my daily life. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, that was one of my takeaways. I thought I think you're right, spot on. I the complication now around the issue, like things are, it's never as clear and as simple uh, as we always as we want it to be, mm-hmm. right? And not saying that we think. I, I think most people know that things are very complicated. Um, like I just read an article, Amazon is going to be providing free transportation for women who would choose to have an abortion to two states that have ab- where abortion is legal. And potentially moving facilities and those sort of, like wow. that's the reaction wow, to I the so issue now. About that. Oh, totally. And and whether I mean we, the amount of information coming out now and what everybody's going to do and how this is all going to work out is that if that's actually going to to happen, that's our state is going to be because our state is right. the most it's be flooded liberal state on the issue of abortion. It is you can have an abortion virtually at every at at any point in a pregnancy in, in the state of Illinois. Our governor has doubled down on that over the last couple of years. And so if that is true, that employers are going to be providing transportation to states where abortion is legal, Illinois is about to have potentially, if this is all going to happen, lots of unplanned people with unplanned pregnancies seeking abortion, being abortion-minded, coming into our state. Traveling here, right. What an opportunity. Yeah. Church. Totally. What an yeah, opportunity. That's a great that you bring it up. We need to be on our toes. We need to um, and for places, pour resources into mm-hmm. a caring network. Exactly. Yeah. I just was, we've been, um, Caring Network reached out to us this week um, with a couple of support opportunities for people, for women who came to their facilities seeking abortion and, and are looking for support mm-hmm. um, now that they are no, no longer abortion minded. So, mm-hmm. Caring Network is a ministry we support with lots of money and and um, prayer and connection, and um, it's a a ministry that exists to help women who are in unplanned pregnancies, in crisis, seeking most are seeking abortion, and they come to a place like Caring Network and they get support and ultrasounds and those sorts of things to help them in that. So, yeah, what a, what an amazing opportunity in the midst of a lot of pain and sadness. Question two. Yep. Can you say a little bit about the five-fold offices? I came from a Pentecostal background, and they talked about it a lot. You didn't seem to think it was important to spend time on. What should I make of the difference in emphasis? Yeah, so it's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 12. Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So he lists five particular roles. Some have said offices. And he's given these five to equip his people for works of service. 
I, you know, the short of it is, yeah, I didn't spend a lot of time on it. I haven't historically felt like a lot of time needs to be spent on the offices. If you do a quick Google search of it, you come up with all types of explanations <laughs> and they're often um, alliterated. Apostles govern, prophets guide, evangelists gather, pastors guard, teachers ground. So and I would say, well, okay, apostles govern, but but I also know that apostles teach. I'm talking about the first 12 apostles. Uh, I know that prophets guide, but I also know that prophets, it, it just uh, guard. So my point is it's a little, uh, there's not a lot beyond Ephesians 4 on these offices and how they, so I I have historically focused on gifting because there is a lot in the New Testament on gifting. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 uh, has gift lists. And, and so, and I don't even think those lists are exhaustive. In fact, most of the lists that Paul offers in the New Testament, I think the fruit of the spirit, the list of the, the nine fruit of the spirit, I don't think that's exhaustive. Uh, I don't think the, the sins that people commit for which they'll not inherit the kingdom of God. There's this laundry list of sins. I don't think that's an exhaustive list. So I don't think the gift lists or these offices are exhaustive, but I, I have historically focused on uh, let's identify our gifts and let's find a place of service. If someone in the Pentecostal church says, I'm an apostle, I don't have a problem with that. That person still has to find a place of service. If they want the mantle, of apostle, as long as they're not saying that they're on par with the first 12 apostles, right. I have no real problem with that. So I, you know, um, as long as they're not claiming to be a prophet or an apostle in the same way that they were old Testament, like our new Testament, like John the Baptist was a prophet. Uh, th those prophets and those apostles were unique in their gifting and calling. Mm -hmm. um, I, so I just, I typically focus on giftings and encourage people identify your gift. In fact, you could go to our website under resources and we have uh, a little shape inventory that you could take uh, to help you identify your gifts and then mm -hmm. find a place of service. Yeah, I think I see it often play out in the, like, let me give you a scenario. So I'm not called to that. I'm not in the office of evangelist, so I don't really have to share my faith. Mm. I'm giving a kind of an extreme example, but right. that we, we meet with that kind of regularly, right? Um, or I could never, you know, I'm not, I'm not called to that office. I couldn't do I'm that. I'm not a or, pastor. Yeah. Right. And, um, and so we just, yes, there are clearly some given the potentially an office of an evangelist with strong gifting in that. But at the same time, we all need to be ready to, to share our faith. Maybe we're not all called to, you know, the, the platform crazy, you know, gathering of large crowds or whatever type of, of, of evangelism. You would maybe identify yourself as an evangelist, but we all, if we are following Jesus and, and are growing in being his disciple, we all need to be ready to share, defend, talk about our faith, right? So Absolutely. sometimes it actually... Rather than people trying to claim an office, people are actually trying to get away from doing. Yeah, it serves as an excuse. Service, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I just, 
I'm not called to that. Well, what are you called to? What are you gifted in? What let's let's Yeah, that talk was my comment, I think, in second service about Dietrich Bonhoeffer in a yeah. concentration camp. No one was saying I'm an apostle. They were saying, How can we care for each other? Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, I, 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 and I mentioned the priesthood of believers in both services. Um, I, I think that the, the Protestant Reformation shined a light on, on the damage that can be done when we draw too great a distinction between these offices. Who, who's a vocational minister? And I, obviously, I'm a vocational minister. I get paid uh, to serve full time, and I'm thankful for that. But according to Ephesians 4, I'm, my role is to equip others so that they too are are pastoral, that they are priestly, that they are finding their gifts and they're joining in in ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's really... Um, Your pastoral role isn't claiming that you have a special relationship with God that others cannot obtain. That's right. the danger of or saying that, I'm the priest and you are not. Or that it's I'm the, the only one to be bearing fruit productive yeah, right, in ministry. Right. We're all... In fact, my productivity... Our productivity as vocational ministers should be aimed at helping others find their place of service, mm-hmm. and they're productive as well. And I just the the fivefold office in the Pentecostal movement often separates people. Um, he or she is an an apostle, yeah, and a and special status, a special status, yeah. yeah. yeah and um, so, yeah. all right, question three. I'm one of those who is unstable because of my doubt. Let me start that over. I'm one of those who is unstable because of doubt in my prayer life. I know, I, I, I know I'm not supposed to doubt, but how do I stop doubting? I don't want to be double-minded, but what do I do? I think everybody doubts to some degree. So um, I would encourage you to be patient with yourself, which is not... Not to say I, I wouldn't encourage you to be passive. There, there's real opportunity for growth here. We don't have to. We can. We don't have to stay stuck in doubt. So, um, I assume you guys struggle with doubt at times. I mean, it's sure. it's fair to say everybody doubts to some degree. So, mm-hmm. I would address your doubt with God in prayer. I, I'm. I feel like whenever we're stuck, we should just begin talking in prayer to God about that. Something as simple as God, I'm having trouble overcoming my doubt. You know, confess it as sin. Be, start with God in prayer. Uh, that's the best place. He's the one that gives us faith, asking for an increase in faith. So I would start there, just taking your doubts to God. Um, that's my best remedy. I, I would also say there are things you can do to build faith. Uh, you could get into God's word. I would find a couple scriptures that address uh, a doubt and the damage it does and that call you to faith. I would write them, you know, into your phone on a note or maybe a three by five card, the old fashioned way. And I would commit those, those passages to memory that helps us build faith. God's word helps us build faith. We, you should also start hanging out with people that are, are not encumbered by doubt. I'll, you know, extend an invitation to the prayer group again. Get with people that are praying in a faith-filled uh, way and ask them for prayer on this issue of doubt. So we pray on Sunday morning. We pray on Wednesday night. If you'd like to be a part of that, just send me your email, and I'll, I'll get you on the distribution list, and the Zoom link will come to your inbox, and you can be a part of prayer um, 
very conveniently. And so we get about 15 to 20 on the prayer call twice a week. So it's a, it's very encouraging. There are people that are very seasoned in prayer and uh, it's a, r- a real place to build faith. Uh, how about keep a prayer journal? Mm-hmm. Have y'all done that before? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Keeping a prayer journal and just watching as God actually answers your prayer, that builds faith. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. You said in, um, I can't remember which service because they were so dramatically different. <laughs> they weren't that different. <laughs> I, just, I was in both. But um, you mentioned something about when we start to feel uh, more tossed about or more fearful mm-hmm. or um, doubting or whatever, instead of moving forward in the in the room, we oh, move yeah. to the back. Yeah, and, where Simone is. I <laughs> know. I actually felt very judged. Very in that convicted. Moment. I was like, oh, I see. This I didn't mean to be judgmental. <laughs> just kidding. I did not yeah. be judged. <laughs> I felt late. I just. It was a good picture. You know whether that that's totally true or not in our yeah. actual worship center. That you know the back to the front kind of scenario. I think you were using it as a metaphor to talk about we. As we grow in, if we're growing concerned or fearful or, or having doubts, we should move closer mm-hmm. to Christ and closer to people who are following him and be encouraged by the body and let people carry our burdens and hear our confession and pray for our healing rather than yeah. drift to the margins. It's so counterintuitive to do that. Yeah. So I actually really, I joke about me sitting in the back row um, when you made that comment, it, but it's so, it was such a good encouragement because you want to run and hide when you're struggling or if you have doubt. And um, two, two practical things came to mind when I read this question. I just appreciate, first of all, the honesty mm. of this question. I just think it, you're not alone. Nope. This is nothing, this is something that every one of us has struggled with. And the first thing comes to mind, I think it's Galatians, um, where Paul talks about carrying each other's burdens. Mm. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's in the context of believers. And if I'm doubting, if there's something specific Maybe it's just a season of doubt, not necessarily a lifelong issue, but a season of doubt. I like how you say, go to a prayer group, go to your small group, go to people you trust. And essentially you're asking, carry this burden with me. Mm-hmm. I help share your mm-hmm. faith with me, fill in the gaps where I am lacking. And I've seen that done in a very practical way. So many times I've been that person asking for yeah. carry this with me. And I've been that to other people. And it's just a really beautiful uh, expression of how we can carry um, each other's burdens and fill in those those gaps of of doubt. So that's that's something that I th- I think of as it's counterintuitive to go to someone and say I don't really want to share this with mm. you because it feels like I'm right. small in my faith. Where I think it actually takes a lot of discipline to do that. And the other thing when you say um, a prayer journal, I've gotten into the habit recently. I had a th- for one of my school assignments, I had to do a thirty day lecto divina. Do I sound very smart when I say that? I don't know what it means. I'm just kidding. I don't know what it means. (laughs) Um, It's Latin. So it was 30 straight days of reading a scripture and Mm. then praying that scripture through, and you can do it in multiple different ways. But one of the ways I did it was praying through pen, um, journaling that scripture into a prayer. It has changed Mm. the way I think about issues, the way I think about my family, the way I think about God. I mean, it was a 30 day process and I'm, Mm -hmm. my hope is that I continue to do it. 30 days in one passage. No, no. 30 days consistently with this exercise. So different. And I had a journal that led me through the passage, told me different passages. The journal told me what passages Mm -hmm. to read. Uh, It's very specific. Uh, You know, we don't have to go into those details, but I love how you encourage this person to go to the word and pray through the word and 
the exercise of taking the scripture and applying it through prayer to your own life, it will do something. It will change you. Um, I just, it's such a reminder that the word of God is active and living and um, it will transform us. So that's what I would encourage this person to do. Good word. In my own prayer life, I've noticed that when I hit a snag, not in prayer, but just in life, um, I, I'm often tempted to talk to others about it mm. and I need, True. and I've learned to talk to God about it. So even things as mundane as God, I don't want to pray begin by talking to God about, you know, if I'm in a season where I just, I don't want to make time for it or I feel bored. I'll, you know, I have told God I'm bored. I don't want to be here, <laughs> which is a very childish thing, but he is my father. And I, I have experienced heart change in those moments mm-hmm. if I'll go to him and, and when I'm honest with him. So. Can I ask you uh, just a question off of, I thought you had a really uh, powerful point about the idea, the metaphor of being, the metaphor is not right, but the right word, the born again, being born mm-hmm. again, there's an assumption that we, will, that we are infants at yeah. some point. Yeah. Uh, in our life. And I be, was thinking about that a little bit. Sorry, this isn't a question. It's a little tangent off this, but John question. Yeah. Do you, would you say, and I think I know the answer, but I, I'd mm-hmm. love to hear your thoughts on it, that that is always about time or does like, mm-hmm. we talk a lot about, you know, those who are mature influencing those who are not mature. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes that comes at the, well, they're older. Yeah. He or she's 80. They've been around for right. longer and they're mature yeah. and those who are. So how do you think through those issues? I'm trying to, I'm trying to think through them my, myself because I, like, I know some pretty mature young people yeah. who've seen a lot in their life and their faith, gone through difficulties, strong people of faith. Yeah. I don't, think it is necessarily age related. I actually think it's furnace related. It's how how hot has the heat been turned up in your life? To challenge your faith, you mean right. or, or yeah, to refine push you to grow. It. Yeah. Yeah. So I I actually think yeah, you can meet a 20 something that has uh, brilliant wisdom to offer on a particular topic because he or she was refined in an area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and so someone asked me afterwards about, well, uh, I want to be equipped. How do I spot someone mm-hmm. that will help me in a particular area? And I, I was reflecting on myself. I have, it depends on the issue who I ask. Mm-hmm. So I want any number of people, and I mean 10, 20 people in my life that I'm watching their life closely. Yeah. It's kind of a cluster mentoring yeah. idea yeah. where you have people all around you at different you don't giftings. And it's it's great if you want to go find a single mentor. Those those relationships can be hard to to establish and maintain. Frankly, they require a lot of chemistry and um, and you may or not may or may not find that. What I find is when I'm stumped on an issue, I have I, I work hard. Lord, who who can I talk to about this? Mm-hmm. And um, and then we'll ask around. And yeah, I think I think it could be someone younger than me. Yeah, I think when I'm. processing a little bit is age and maturity. And I don't think that age always equals maturity. Right. No, there you, where was I? I was just journaling the other day in the scripture. It was an old Testament King and his age. 
it didn't serve him well. He in late in life, doggone, I can't remember. But there, I tell my children right now, I'm 53 and I'm deciding who I want to be at 63. Mm-hmm. It's, I have to be very, we all have to be careful that we not, as we grow older, that we not grow more complacent, not give sin an opportunity. There are a lot of people who finish poorly. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's not as simple as he or she is 70 and so they can be, they can offer me wisdom on all areas of life because we have to stay close to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I think of Timothy, Paul's words to right. Timothy. Yeah, right. Don't let them look down on you because you are young. Yeah, but set an example mm-hmm. in speech and life and love. Yep. I thought I thought some of the your your work on the idea of being infantile and then moving towards maturity, the idea of people in your life doing that. I was wondering if you were going to get some of those questions of how do I move out of the infant stage? Who should I be seeking to spend my time with? Who in the church could mentor me? Those sorts of things were some... We have tried mentoring here. Yeah, mentoring initiatives. It's really hard to set up because Mm -hmm. it's hard to schedule, I guess, or plan chemistry and to sit with somebody one-to-one. What I tell my children is, uh, because I've had a number of kids say, I want a mentor. Who could I have for a mentor? I say... What question do you have? Go to someone with a question, ask them for coffee, and and ask them your question. And then when you have another question, ask them out for coffee again. You, to formalize a mentoring, it's fine to formalize it, but these really have to be driven by someone asking us questions. Mm-hmm. That's a, I love that. And then it gives you permission to have more than one mentor because if you yeah, have totally. a question about a certain topic that you want to go to one person, that would be different. I had somebody... That's a really great idea. Yeah. Uh, too often, a mentoring can be, would you hold my hand through life? Mm-hmm. And that's really not productive. Mm-hmm. I say, and I would say, when you have a question, I'll give you as much time as you want. Mm-hmm. Call me with a question. Yeah. There's an author, Carson Pugh's name, done a lot of work on mentoring, wrote a big curriculum on it and studied it and all those sorts of things. And he, he basically says those types of trying to formalize a mentoring program is very, very difficult because um, the assumption of the mentee and the mentor and all those sorts of situations. But he basically prescribes what he calls it a cluster, hmm. cluster mentoring, where you have people around you who can help you with certain issues or decisions or questions that you may have and you have sort of multiple people around you rather than kind of locking arms with somebody and saying get me to a certain point or a finish line or whatever that is because that puts so much burden on a mentor and the expectations of the mentee are often unmet Mm -hmm. because that person is not able to actually deliver what mm-hmm. um, what they mm-hmm. they thought. Often we ask, we'll ask people, like in an interview setting or something like that, we'll say, who's your mentor? Mm-hmm. And people will say, well, I don't, you know, I go to this person for this and I get this person. And it's like, that's more of probably that's normal and helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say, I would have a word to those who, who are receiving questions. So if you are fielding questions, then heads up, people are asking for a reason. Mm-hmm. They see something in your life, which means if someone's asking me questions, I want to answer those with God's word. So I want to take, so when I answer a question, I want to utilize God's word and and talk about how it's intersected with my life and, and help them see how it could help in their lives. So 
I would have something to say to mentors. Those and and let's be ready with God's word. Mm-hmm. I think it's also important while we're on the topic to have a a finish time with people mm-hmm. where you. Carrie's done a lot of mentoring of people, and she works at Wheaton College, and she's had a lot of connections with younger women and those sorts of things. And there's sort of there needs to be a timeline mm-hmm. in place, and how much that, how much she's going to give, and those expectations, and and those sorts of things. And it's important, I think, to set some parameters and boundaries. Yeah, we call that on ramp and off ramp. Yeah, in our in our. <laughs> Forced mentoring program at Naomi's house. I'm listening to you. I'm like, oh, maybe we should tweak our language around that. <laughs> well, and there are. Let's be honest. There are situations where well, school uh, is forced mentoring. Yes, grad school is forced mentoring. Yes, so. and there it's are like, situations it's a life skill we're trying right. to help build. Yes, yeah. where an intense mentoring one-on-one relationship over a period of time is really good, healthy, and important. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not saying, you know, get rid of those things, but it's hard in the church and we have tried a number of times. It's just hard to to plan chemistry. Well, yeah, what's what's often what, what often happens is a mentor says, Well, I've been working with a person giving them advice and they don't do anything I say. <laughs> <laughs> Am I responsible? What's right. going on? <laughs> Uh, we want to take a pause and, and just a break in the podcast to bring to your attention an opportunity to serve in children's ministry this summer. On Sunday, I talked about the importance of gift-based ministry and working together to help one another go on to maturity. This is a great opportunity. Summer is a, especially in the time of uh, programming here at the church. And so if you have an interest, a calling, if you want to make a difference in a child's life, Contact Amy Coyle here at the church or Janet Grinsky, and they will help you find a place to serve. We could use volunteers to fill a couple spots this summer. Thank you. All right, next uh, next question. What is the biblical foundation for child dedication? Is it the Protestant substitute for the Catholic infant baptism? It's a great question. Uh, so first I would say... it. Um, there are a lot of Protestant churches that practice infant baptism. So don't, let's not think of this as uh, either Catholic or Protestant. So uh, Episcopalians, Presbyterians, Lutherans all practice what's called uh, paedobaptism or infant baptism. Uh, we don't at GBC simply not because we think it's wrong to do so. I, I wouldn't go so far as to say we think it's wrong to baptize infants but because we don't want to do anything that might confuse the gospel. And I'm afraid um, that many think infant baptism is salvific. Especially in our community. Yeah. And in fact, in, in the Catholic Church, you would hear that without infant baptism, that uh, their soul is at Jeopardy. stake. Yeah. Uh, and so it's a... It's a sacrament in the church, and it has to take place. So uh, we don't want to do anything in our setting that would confuse the gospel. And the gospel is um, that that God is saving us. Uh, we're not saving ourselves. And, and in that, we're to confess our sinfulness. And, of course, and we're to... Um, um, 
testify. We're, we're to ask for forgiveness of our sins. And of course, an infant can't do that. And so we practice what's called credio or creed-based baptism. That is confession-based baptism when someone upon a profession of faith. And so we've just, we, there are no New Testament examples of infant baptism, which again is not to say it's wrong, just as long as you don't see it as salvific. And of course, some may ask them, why are people doing it if it's not salvific? And what they're, what families, Protestant families are saying is, this is a, an indication of our desire that the child be a part of the covenant community of God. So it's a sign of the covenant. So most people, or some people believe it is, um, it took the place of circumcision. Mm-hmm. And so just as little children would be circumcised in the Old Testament, um, there grew up a, a historic uh, practice of little children being infant baptized as a sign of the covenant. So in our modern day, Lutherans and Presbyterians and Episcopalians are saying we want these children to be a part of the covenant community, and we're we're exercising or we're we're doing this sign as a desire as a reflection of our desire for our children and a belief that they will be a part of the covenant community. And therein is the difficulty: is we need to be really careful that we not say this is going to bring them into the covenant community. Mm -hmm. So we do the child dedication uh, out of Ephesians six. The encouragement is to train our children in the instruction of the Lord. Parents bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And so it's one step in a very long journey, right? Of when parents get up and say, we want to train our kids and nurture them in the instructions of the gospel of the Lord. And so we want to affirm that, um, and without giving, um, kind of a salvific message that, that can happen around infant baptism. Did you guys grow up in infant baptism world? Did the Dutch reform do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still do. Yeah. Do you think it was ever misunderstood? No, I never misunderstood it. Okay. It it was, uh, it's a two part process. So, there's the infant baptism, kind of the the replacement for circumcision, inclusion in the covenant community. It's more about the parents' commitment okay. and the whole church commitment. And then there's a process when you're older, you do profession of faith. And Confirmation. So, you're confirming your baptism. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a course you go through, and um, it's a lengthy process around that age of accountability yeah. kind of language where— well, well, let me press again. Can then you, you stand, stand up, commit your faith— and celebrate, some will celebrate back to their sure. parents' commitment in the covenantal step that was made, and so, others don't go through profession of faith and don't come back to the church, and their baptism was not salvific, okay. and they're well, that's, needing to be called to repentance. And okay. <laughs> well, that's, I like the way that's handled. If, you're, if you never confirm your faith, then no one's fooling themselves. Correct. That the baptism, quote unquote, took, saved anybody. Took. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And there are, I'm, you know, this is, I'm speaking primarily of the Christian Reformed Church in which I grew up in. There are Presbyterian churches of similar ilk, Reformed churches of similar, that maybe have not handled it perfectly, right. but mm. in large part in the churches I grew up in and was a part of that was the. Um, the practice. I I know of churches around here that will baptize infants privately. Right. Because they don't want to confuse the gospel message. Right. right. Yeah. Oh, 
and at the same time want to follow those parents beliefs on what infant baptism is yeah. Yeah. and churches that are of similar doctrine philosophy of ministry as us that that baptize infants right i mean it's there's a broad spectrum on the issue they i think it's really important to talk about the idea of of keeping baptism and salvation separate which we do even yes. for yeah. adults or those that are at the age where they're professing their faith. Yeah, getting wet, no matter what your age, yeah. doesn't save you. It's the <laughs> profession of faith and and claiming Jesus as your Lord and Savior, accepting his gift, and mo- that's actually what's saving you. The water is just a symbol of from death to life. And oh. I know this is a theological question that the person's asking, but I will say from a symbolic perspective, I was so moved to see the Wilkerson's. I didn't, I didn't know the other family in the second service. I'm sure they're wonderful. The Sereniuses. Okay. They are wonderful. <laughs> okay, good. So as are the Wilkerson's and Ellie was Maddie's, my oldest English teacher last semester, not no. this semester. Oh, yeah. And um, she just poured into her and they got close and I think Maddie's babysat for the Anyway, and I just thought this is so cool because they're asking and obviously Mark just pours into all the students around here. But I just thought it was neat. The symbolism of, yeah, we're pouring into your kids and just our roles and our you know, being the pastor of student ministries and then Ellie in a high school teaching position and then they're it's, it was it was circular, and they're saying, and you're going to love our kids, mm. and that's the commitment as a congregation you're taking by saying, we're going to count on you, mm. church family, to do what we're doing for your kids. Right. In you know, I don't know. I just thought it was a neat. It fit perfect with equipping. Yeah. We yeah. We're called to help equip each other. Yeah, I loved it. I love the refrain, not to bruise their tender lives with harsh words, mm-hmm. quick judgments, and unfair criticisms. Mm-hmm. I just that impacted me from. When I, when the first day we started attending here, that refrain in, in 94, uh, Sherry and I started attending in 93, and I remember thinking, wow, that's really powerful affirmation. We're going to be careful with each other's children. Yeah, it's good. And love each other's children. Because, you know, parenting's so easy and everything. Right. So mm-hmm. <laughs> we need all the help It's we pretty can much get. a solo operation, pretty right? Much. I mean, it's yeah. just, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Far from it. Far from it. All right, last question. I love this question. Oh, good. I'm not sure I have a good answer, but it's a great question. What would you say are some of the most urgent equipping needs of GEBC folks? And how might we be equipped in those areas? So I just put together a little laundry list of things that I see we need to go on to maturity in. So when I say most urgent equipping needs... It's, it's places where we're regularly missing it, missing our layups. Uh, the first one's prayer. And that's a big surprise that you brought that up, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What, what yeah. do you say? <laughs> no, I think it's great. I'm just, we're about to read the list of things we need to do better. I thought I'd add a little levity. Well, yeah. right? well, I've seen church. you grow in your, in your personal prayer life and, and our church is growing. And, in and you have and yeah. you have led well. Our church going to prayer, being people of prayer, mm-hmm. as a staff, as a yeah. So I'm not belittling yeah, you. I'm not. teasing you because it. I know it's a point of passion, but I actually think we've seen a lot of fruit because of yeah. it. Yeah. I would say contentment. Like there's a the suburbs are kind of famous for discontent, and godliness. Uh, contentment with godliness is great gain. And we typically think that 
promotion with pay increase is great gain <laughs> in the suburbs. And so I, I just think there's a discontentedness that we need to be equipped to live contented. Thankful maybe is the, is the word. Um, and then I, I would say, um, biblical literacy i'm i'm judging whether or not i've got the list right so (laughs) (laughs) you just fired off a bunch of things yeah so illusion always leads to disillusionment and so when, when over and over when i see people disillusioned spiritually they're disappointed discouraged it's because they had an illusion the the bubble got burst they they weren't informed fully so and what informs us about reality best, best informs us, is the biblical narrative. Mm-hmm. And so if, when we're biblically illiterate, we, we actually don't know the move of God throughout redemptive history, then we're set up for disillusionment spiritually. Mm-hmm. We're caught off guard by, oh my gosh, this unfolded or that unfolded, whatever it might be. I lost my job. I'm disillusioned. I got sick i'm disillusioned my kids didn't turn out the way i want so i'm spiritually disillusioned but if you read the biblical narrative then you 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 come to meet really clearly with in this world you will have trouble all right so prayer contentment biblical literacy all right this fourth one is there are i am consistently meeting with people who have historic wounds unaddressed wounds that are holding them back. There needs to be an equipping about how to break free from wounds, how to get them healed, spot them, identify them, and and get past them. Mm-hmm. So I, I ran a little pilot group in the spring. It's called Restore. It's aimed at helping men who feel stuck with potentially some of it, many of those that attended had unaddressed wounds and, and how do we get healing mm-hmm. on those wounds? Uh, I'll kick it off again in the fall. So those are mine. What would y'all think? Or what'd y'all think of the ones I, I really appreciate the fact that you added, um, unaddressed wounds. I feel like that's a hard, um, topic. It's, it doesn't fit so neatly in a box, you yeah. know? And so I'm, I'm glad you added that because I think it's true. And there are so many resources, not only a, a Bible study or a book, whatever, you know, your group that you did, but professional therapists and good. You're getting into equipping. And, oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm teasing. Well, you know, I do like to look at the positive things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. Yeah. But I just appreciate that you, you listed that one. I think the first three were like, are you talking to me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. So I, I think, think of the, the fruit of the spirit. I think all, you know. Those are some natural things. But I, th- I think one of the things that I've been hearing from a lot of folks lately is the idea of just this the persistence and long-suffering and bearing with each other through difficulty and hardship. And I think it's some of what you, you raised in the idea of contentment. But, um, I mean, I've talked to several people who have been in the church lately who have gone through lots of difficulties, you know. I sort of look at these last couple years have been, you know, the pandemic and everything culturally that's gone on, like this intense kind of fire, lots of arrows 
people shooting at each other and hard season. And then I'll have somebody who's been here 30 years go, yeah, there was a hard season 26 years ago. Right. And then they explain it. I'm like, oh, goodness. <laughs> wow. And how rich the fellowship was after and gone through that. And they bared with each other and saw forgiveness on the other side. And I had a man come forward on Sunday morning who said, your sermon last week was not not the only reason, but it was a huge part of a change that happened in my family. Oh, and I was cool. like, oh, goodness. Cool. Cool. What happened? Mm-hmm. He goes, for 17 years, my family has been separated, mm. remarriage on both sides and this sort of mm-hmm. c- scenario, and has had a growing sense of we need to forgive or reconcile, restore, and come back together. And he and his wife left last su- Sunday after we talked about restoring and said, we're going to do We need to do this. And he showed me a picture of the first time his whole family had been in the room together in 17 years. Separate size. Divorcees. Divorcees. His oh, ex-wife awesome. and the child they have together and his grandparents and her, like, together, arms around each other with a family Praise photo. the Lord. Yeah. Well, praise the Lord. That's amazing. That's, I mean, I was... That's resurrection stuff. I was so encouraged and so... Uh, just, I mean, I said to him, I'm like, praise God, man. He goes, praise God. He gave me a big hug. And um, mm. I, I think of those sorts of, those sorts of moments, the, the, the bearing with each other and walking through the awkwardness of pain and hurt and forgiving each other and um, the restoring gently stuff that you had talked about. And man, people's families, people and their family, like things are tender I don't know a better way to say it right now. Mm-hmm. I feel mm-hmm. like in our world, because of some of the stuff that we've gone through um, in the with the pandemic and cultural issues and all those sorts of things, and man, what a great opportunity to to um, reconcile, restore, mm-hmm. be patient and forgiving and those sorts of things. All right, let's shift gears. Uh, you wanted to get into it, just equipping <laughs> a little bit. Like what... So what do we do to have that? Yeah. So how do these actually happen? And I just made a laundry list again of things that we need to activities that actually bring our strength and our, our ability Mm -hmm. to bear fruit. So confession, we, who, I don't know anybody that naturally moves towards confession. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Here's, here's the areas I'm missing it. Right. Uh, Healing prayer. We, We need to learn how to pray counseling. You brought it up, Simone. I, it's an uphill battle still, and I'm surprised at that in the 21st century to to get people to go to counseling. And I know it's it's pricey, uh, but it's an uphill battle, mm-hmm. and we don't naturally want to open to people. Um, and then um, I listed all the predictable stuff: small groups. Uh, I called something biblical friendship. Who are you watching closely to learn from? Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah. It can feel overwhelming, right? You look at a list and you think, okay, I have to do all of yeah. these things every right day, now. all yeah, day. It's yeah. exhausting. It's not, and it's also not doable. You're right. Yeah. So I would, I would just talk to the Lord about yeah. what, what can I do mm-hmm. father that mm-hmm. talk to your mentor. Just kidding. You know, the family you have to get a mentor on this. Yeah. Too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> can you mentor me through this? Yeah. The unaddressed wounds issue. I, Simone, I think about the work you do and mm-hmm. it just, I assume y'all start there. Like, <laughs> let's get the wounds. Let's try to identify the wounds. I, a lot of people in churches in the 21st century are walking wounded. 
Yeah. Unaddressed wounds, family, family of origin wounds. And then there are a lot of self-inflicted wounds. Uh, yeah, what do you I, mean by that? What I mean is... Um, Sins committed sin, and unconfessed. Okay. Sins, yeah, I, right? Uh, yeah, it's, it's... The classic is, and I told all my kids when they went away to college, I said, hey, in the next four years at college, people will start habits that they will spend the rest of their life trying to stop. Wow. That's a self-inflicted wound. It's something, you know. How do you know, Dad? You're like, ah. Uh, <laughs> I meet with I've it every day. John Vanderbilt told me. <laughs> yeah. You open the door to some of these sins, and, you know, it's hard to get the door closed, and it takes a lot of vigilance. And so when we wound ourselves, that means cultivating addiction. Um, it's like living in secret. Right. Yeah. We all we all know what it is to be sinned against by others, but we can actually sin against ourselves and mm-hmm. in, in what God is doing in our lives, and that that's what it means to grieve the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to open a whole can of worms here, so I, I always say that, and then I do. Um, right at the end. Healing <laughs> prayer. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because that is I, the little that I've experienced or read about or I've been to a seminar or two yeah. is really powerful, but mm-hmm. it's also you have to do it in a, in a proper setting with, I, if I'm thinking about what you're talking about. So yeah. what do you mean by that? So I, somebody came up to me after first service said, thanks so much. They were a guest here visiting a family whose child was being, you know, they were mm-hmm. part of the extended family up from Indianapolis. I think he said, he said, I'm working with somebody in their sixties who's, uh, uh, stuck in sin and can't get out and has been stuck their entire adult life. And I said, Wow, it sounds like a stronghold, which is a biblical term about, you know, we have power to tear down strongholds, Paul said. Um, we, can, we can get a stronghold that, that we need deliverance from. Christ taught us, uh, taught us to pray, deliver us from the evil one. There is a prayer of deliverance. There's a prayer asking God to do what only he can do. Uh, I have bad habits, but... I'm talking about healing of more than bad habits. I'm talking about, um, I'm talking about strongholds that things that, um, well, the demonic would be a part of that. If I've opened the door, I I've spoken with a couple, I'll just mention this. I've spoken with a couple folks who have been participating in something called, uh, Reiki, have y'all heard? Have I mentioned this on the podcast? No, oh, no. I'm a. Should I be afraid what you're about to say? Well, it's it's. <laughs> yeah, it, I had to look it up. I hadn't heard about it, but as it was described to me, it it's an Eastern meditation. Okay. And and so you're given uh, mantras to chant, and it's often coincides with uh, yoga. Mm. So it's, it's picturing your mind yoga to the tenth degree, but. <laughs> Both of these people's experience was that as they were progressing in Reiki, that uh, the spirit world and yeah. uh, darkness yeah. entered their lives. Danger. That, yeah, that type of experience, drugs, mm-hmm. uh, can uh, open us to things that require prayer. Deliverance mm-hmm. is what I'm trying, you know, healing yeah. prayer in that respect. Sometimes uh, there's intense shame yeah. that we have trouble getting past. Mm-hmm. All right. 
No, this is so good. And I, it's like a whole nother podcast we could have just on this topic because I do think it keeps people from growing in their faith and experiencing, uh, you know, abundant life. And the only thing that comes to mind that you, that you didn't mention that I'm wondering if you would um, add to this is if something you mentioned it a little bit with shame, um, but if something was done to you mm. or it could be self-inflicted, but earlier in your life and you know that it's there, mm-hmm. but you don't really want to touch it. Because it brings back painful memories sure. and it's, you know, it, 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 you don't like the way it feels to think about it. Um, a, a tool that I've learned that, again, it could just, I don't know if, if you would want everyone to experience this, but it's something to the extent of Jesus, where were you mm-hmm. when this happened to me? Mm-hmm. And so often I've heard stories of when you ask God that question, um, so often I've heard Jesus was with me mm-hmm. during whatever this let's just trauma. Say, exactly. Right. And instead of feeling like you were abandoned by God, mm-hmm. um, a lot of times I've heard people express that they realize that Jesus was not only there, but he was grieving mm-hmm. what was happening mm-hmm. to you or what you were doing to yourself in that moment. And it changes the mindset of thinking I've got this unhealed wound that I can't even talk about. I can't mm-hmm. touch it because it, it's so painful and it changes the mindset and ushers in freedom because you know that Jesus not only knew about it and saw it and experienced it along with you, it gives, it shows you that he had empathy for you while it was happening. And that brings Mm -hmm. healing now. And I wouldn't suggest just, I I do think there are professionals, whether it's pastoral care or a, yeah. So I, I've worked with a couple counselors and, and they'll bring me in to a counseling session and they've done the work Yeah, they with a client to say, Jesus to answer the question, Jesus, where were you? Mm-hmm. Had you abandoned me in this traumatic experience when mm-hmm. someone was sinning against yeah. me? And then I'll, if there, I have been invited in a couple times by a couple different counselors, then to lead through pastoral prayer, yeah, uh, uh, you know, for freedom right. from shame that's plagued or guilt that's chased them or mm-hmm. anger, mm-hmm. bitterness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not a magic bullet, right? It's just, it's no. Sometimes it's a journey and a process that you do multiple times, yeah. but not always. I mean, sometimes, sometimes there just, is powerful is freedom absolutely in the yeah. moment, healing immediately. I mean, yeah. we see that biblically as well. Yeah. So I think that's why I got so excited when you hit yeah. unaddressed wounds because I really do think it can hold us back um, from living in full freedom in who we are today. Yeah, I'll just, since we're in the moment, uh, I'll say if you're listening and you feel like there are some wounds unaddressed that are plaguing you and keeping you from going on to maturity, that you feel stuck, I, we would love to speak with you and bless you and support you in that. I, one that comes to mind, I don't know, maybe there's someone that's listening that needs to hear this, but if you've participated in an abortion um, and, and you've been deeply convicted that sin, often men and women are plagued by that mm-hmm. decision and the guilt and shame is hard to shake. The grace of God, um, the, the blood of Christ is sufficient to cover that sin. But then we often need healing. In fact, Caring Networks does. They run programs for post-abortive men and women who, who want to, uh, to shake free mm-hmm. of the guilt and shame mm-hmm. and want to live at peace um, because of the sufficiency of the blood of Christ. And so uh, just freedom is out there and we can go on to maturity. All right, that's all the questions we have for today. But if you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text the Next Level Podcast at 630-474-6164.
Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that scripture is a primary means for our getting to know him. And our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to the next level.